Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. And welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles, and this week we will be talking about women in science, specifically Latinas in science here at The Ohio State University. Although the number of Latina scientists is increasing, many are still lacking mentors, other women that look like them in positions that they aspire to have. You probably have heard now famous studies regarding associations children make about professions. When a group of kinder kindergartens were asked to draw scientists, they did not always associate it with a specific gender. Yet, by the second grade, kids had already solidified this notion of what a scientist looks like. The scientist wore a white coat and glasses, and he was always a white man. Things are changing, but there's still much work to be done about the representation of women in the STEM fields. Dr. Marcela Hernandez and graduate student Ethel Perez Hoyos will talk to us about the work they do and how they are bringing awareness about the challenges faced by Latina scientists, but also about the opportunity we at Ohio State have to draw attention to the work and scholarship they are producing and how to build a supportive community of allies that can serve as mentors from graduate school and beyond. Let me introduce our guests today. Dr. Marcela Hernandez received her Bachelor's of Science in Molecular Genetics and a Master's and PhD in Biochemistry. Her current role is to design and implement programs to enhance retention and support of postdoctoral students, including a special focus on those with underrepresented backgrounds. Her scientific training and research in biochemistry and molecular biology focused on control of gene expression at the transcriptional and post-transcriptional levels. She is also the mother of twin boys, one of which has learning disabilities. This experience made her active in the area of support and advocacy of students with disabilities at the K-12 and college levels. Ethel Perez Hoyos is a graduate student in the physics department at The Ohio State University. Her project is to investigate novel properties of two-dimensional materials such as graphene. In particular, how we can induce and exploit spin physics in these materials. Her father, who is also a physicist, was her first mentor. He instilled in her the idea of being curious and finding her own passion in life. She strongly believes in mentoring other students, and one way she does this is by being part of the Polaris Mentoring Program in the Physics Department at Ohio State. When she's not in the lab, she likes to go to the gym for a nice swim or cycling class. Exercising clears her mind and helps her manage stressful times. Dear audience, I am not a scientist, so I have never used the language I just used to describe their work, so I hope I did it justice. Marcela and Ethel, can each of you talk to us about your journey of becoming a scientist? Um, this is Marcela. I have um, always wanted to be a scientist with the only caveat that before that I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> And uh, I decided not to be an astronaut because at that time, uh, everything I read said that you had to be uh, a man, 
and there were some height requirements that I did not have. <laughs> and on top of that, uh, most people who were going into the space program at that point had been in the military mm-hmm. uh, or had degrees in, in uh, disciplines like aerospace engineering, which did not appeal to me at all. Mm-hmm. So then I decided, okay, uh, not a sa- an astronaut, then um, I really wanted to get involved in, in some sort of science. In particular, I started reading about um, organisms that were being genetically manipulated to mm-hmm. um, help in cleanup of oil spills and things like that, thanks to the technology that came up in the 80s called DNA recombinant technology. And that really sold me. I wanted to become part of that and a scientist in, in, in that area. So I majored in molecular genetics um, because that was basically what I was interested in doing, understanding how genes worked and and how we could manipulate them to help uh, with all kinds of things from curing disease to uh, making plants more productive to Mm -hmm. other things. So I always, uh, and I don't think it was particularly... um, uh, a response to a given role model. I, mm-hmm. my parents were mathematicians, um, but I really didn't like remember them pushing me one way or another. Um, I do remember always wanting to be different, and there mm-hmm. aren't there weren't a lot of kids who wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I liked that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And your um, your BS, you did it at, uh, in Colombia, correct? No, I, I did all my work here in the U.S. Okay. okay. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Ethel? Um, so I guess similar story. I, my parents are, or just my dad. My dad is a physicist. Mm-hmm. And he really pushed me to find what I wanted to do uh, for my life. And um Physics just became, after I took my first class of physics, I just kind of knew that I, that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, just when I started working in the lab, I saw that it was just a lot of fun and just investigating stuff uh, that we are not sure about is very, very uh, intriguing and just exciting. So that's how my uh, journey started. Mm-hmm. Where Was there anything... Um I'm just, this is just me being curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as young children, um, was there any particular, I don't know, um, experiments or things that you wanted to um, investigate or research um, as, a, as a young girl uh, growing up? I guess for me, um, I really didn't have that much of a specific idea what I wanted to do, but I... I, I thought the side of a lab was so great. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it was so awesome <laughs> to see labs and, and people in white coats and, <laughs> and, you know, liquids of different colors in these funny-shaped mm-hmm. containers. I just found the visuals very appealing. And mm-hmm. I'm a visual learner. That's mm-hmm. how I, um, you know, take in everything. And, and that was, to me, it was more like... This concept. Also, I guess one thing that I now that I think about that I liked about science is that I felt like in science there was no wishy washiness. You know, mm-hmm. like you could you could talk about things being or not being, and trying to figure that out. And it wasn't like 
um, opinion or, I mean, it's really not so true though. <laughs> when you do research, you mm -hmm. do get into things where, you know, there's interpretations and opinions, but uh, but there's a lot of um, very definite answers, and I mm -hmm. like that. I mm -hmm. like that about science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, for, uh, I guess <laughs> similar thing. I also, for me, the work in the lab is very much like playing, mm -hmm. uh, something that you do as a kid, just trying different things, see what you come up with. Um, so I... I really like that aspect about research and working in the lab. And just like Marcella, I'm also a very visual learner. So definitely every time um, my dad uh, would take me to the lab, I would be like, oh, what is this? Uh, what does this do? Like, why is this red or green or whatever? Mm -hmm. So um, I think those were the things that I remember the most, just going to my dad's uh, lab when I was little and seeing that he was just like me, just playing around with <laughs> instruments and things like that. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. You're doing what I do. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, yeah, I definitely want to do this for the India. Great, great. Um, we know that gender plays a big role, and studies show us that girls as early as fifth grade are discouraged to pursue STEM careers. And STEM, for those of you not familiar with that terminology, is, um, it stands for science, technology, engineering, math, and medicine. Another factor is that um, that is not just affecting women is the financial piece. A research article pro uh, posted by HACU, Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities, mentioned that uh, financial concerns, family responsibilities, and full-time work commitments have all been shown to be factors external to the college that pull Hispanic students away from STEM fields. Because science, engineering, and mathematics degrees often take longer to complete than other college majors, financial aid takes on added importance in retaining students in those programs. Is this something you personally encountered um, in, when you were a student, or do you see Latinas facing this uh, problem, this challenge? Um, I would say yes, I encountered this, but... Um I, th I agree that more than a gender problem, um, I think it was a financial problem. So for for most STEM fields, in order for you to become a, a professional researcher, you have to get a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, and even though in most STEM fields, the PhD degrees are funded, which means that graduate students don't pay tuition and fees and in fact, they actually get a stipend to live on uh, while they're doing this. Um, the fact is that the stipend is not very much. Mm -hmm. And even though it's much better than, say, graduate students in the so social sciences or humanities get, mm -hmm. it's still not something um, where, you know, like if you go out and find a job with a bachelor's degree, you're probably going to make more money than if you go into a PhD program. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this is relevant is that I think that the trajectory, the career trajectory to become a researcher um, does require a lot of financial sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And um, in my case, um, for example, I, um, my husband is the one that has the more stable job and the one that has that makes more most of the money. Mm -hmm. So 
we took a very practical approach and we decided that his job would dictate where we would live. Mm -hmm. And so that meant I couldn't move after my PhD and I had to do my postdoc um, at this institution. And, and so that kind of restricted the choices I had. And also uh, in my field, it doesn't look good when you've been at the same institution for every stage of your career, which is what I did. I think that's a silly prejudice, but mm -hmm. exists. Mm -hmm. And and so for me, the reason I could not tell my husband, yeah, let's move because I'm going to get paid so much money uh, <laughs> as a postdoc. And that it, that was not going to be true. And and so uh, and we had two children. Uh, we wanted to be able to put them through college. So we made very practical decisions, and I don't regret making those decisions, but I do admit that those decisions did have a huge impact in my career. Mm -hmm. and, and I ended up leaving research uh, because I didn't have a very good postdoctoral experience. Mm -hmm. and, and what I uh, try to do now is maybe help with this problem and mm -hmm. help mentor other students so they don't have to be in the same boat that I was. Mm -hmm. The financial decisions did have a, pro uh, a huge impact on my career, but um, I wasn't really um, in a terrible financial situation. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to make, maintain my standard of living and to uh, assure um, my kids' future, mm -hmm. right? But I think for um, many people coming up, um, they, they didn't have a husband that had a salary like mine. Mm -hmm. um, and they had to live on what they were making. Mm -hmm. And and so, and on top of that, the fact that you have to move every time that you are going to your next stage, that also uh, implies a lot of financial repercussions because um, most of the places, for example, in my discipline that are pretty hot to go to, to get a, a good start on a postdoc, are places like Boston, San Francisco, mm -hmm. California. Uh, I mean, places where the standard of living is way higher than, than here. Mm -hmm. So I think that that all has and plays a role in who gets to uh, be a researcher today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any experience that have been maybe similar to what... Um, Dr. Hernandez is talking about. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the financial part is definitely difficult. The stipend that we get is not much. So, um, yeah, you get creative sometimes. <laughs> uh, but I definitely feel like um, gender does play a role. Mm -hmm. I feel like for a lot of uh, women in physics, um, we talk about like what expectations our family families have of us. And sometimes that... Uh, uh, those talks are about like, oh, when are you going to get married and mm -hmm. when are you going to have kids? And we don't hear those talks from like our male uh, mm -hmm. counters. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like there's um, some, uh, I don't know, pressure from family members sometimes to like not only finish your PhD, but also other stuff, you mm -hmm. know, so mm -hmm. um I do feel like there's that. They say, ay, mijitas, todavía estás en la escuela. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. Is that, um, do you think that's all, there's a maybe slightly added pressure for, for Latina 
uh, women? Uh, is the yeah. cultural piece also an added, I don't know, stress or factor? I think uh, maybe less than it was like a few years ago, but I, I do think that still there. Um, <laughs> I feel like my mom... She's not doing it anymore, but she would ask me maybe like two years ago. She would be like, "Yeah, so, so you're not you're getting close to thirty. <laughs> when are you gonna settle down?" And, and I was like, "Mom, I'm still like in my PhD. Like, I don't have time for this, you know." Um, so yeah, I and I do think it was because she's just a Latina mom, so yeah. she was like concerned about me and like. Uh, like, when am I going to have grandkids and yes. stuff like that? <laughs> Who's going to take care of you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great. Um, okay. Um, so I know that, so this experiences that, that you have or have had um, in, in, in a way um, inform some of the work that you're doing now, right? Um, uh, Marcela, your work in matters of diversity and inclusion. And um, as I mentioned earlier, Ethel, you're part of this uh, mentoring program, right, with the physics yeah. department. So tell me more about uh, what things are in place here at OSU to help women in science succeed. Well, I think um, there are a few groups on campus that you can be part of that I think will help. I mean, there is a group for undergraduates called the Women in Math and Science, mm -hmm. um, which obviously f focuses a lot of gender issues in, in the STEM fields and provides support for undergraduate students to complete their degrees. Uh, we also have other groups like um, Nobiche, which is the... Um, I think is is uh, I forget what it stands for, but it's for chemists and and um, chemical engineers. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not gendered. I mean, it's for both men and women in, mm -hmm. uh, who are uh, African American. Mm -hmm. And then we have SACNAS, which mm -hmm. I'm the advisor for, uh, along with uh, Yolanda Zepeda from mm -hmm. the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And that is a group uh, for uh, STEM students, both graduate and undergraduate both men and women. And you helped started that, right? You, yeah, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Sure. So I went to the SACNAS conference for the first time in 2013. And I learned about these SACNAS chapters that existed around the country. And there was a map that showed all the ones that were in existence, and there was none in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no wonder why this is my first SACNAS conference. <laughs> so... Um, which was really, uh, uh, for me, it was kind of a painful moment because in the moments where I would have really needed SACNAS, I didn't have it. Mm -hmm. So uh, by the time I discovered SACNAS, I was already out of research. So then uh, I came back and I talked to Yolanda and I said, we got to start a chapter here. Mm -hmm. So that's how we started and we put out a call for students and we had a few and we started with becoming a, an official um, a student organization here. Mm -hmm. And then after we established that, we applied to be a, an official SACNAS chapter. And so we were able to get that. And the chapter's been, you know, around a few years. But I, I feel like it's, got, it's, getting, it's gaining momentum. Mm -hmm. um, every year we've managed to bring more and more people to the conference uh, with a combination of strategies and funding. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that group has provided a, a really great um, support um, outlet for 
for students. I mean, they they get to support each other, they get to know each other and talk about common problems. And since we have so few minority science students, mm-hmm. um, it, it's great to be able to get them all in a room and, and share uh, some of the experiences and try to help them cope with things that they are all facing regardless of gender or or regardless of, of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it has been very gratifying to have this, this group because uh, I learn from them as much as I try to give uh, support to them mm-hmm. and help them along their their journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, Ethel is one of the members. Of it. And yeah. this is for um, Hispanic students and Native American? Yes, although so. we are very inclusive. Like mm-hmm. we have African Americans in the group as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great. Um, Ethel, uh, can you tell me more about this uh, Polaris mentoring program and maybe any other initiatives that you think have been helpful helpful to you um, as a Latina scientist or um, that you see uh, being um, beneficial to other students? So... uh so I'll start with, uh, yeah, SACNAS is definitely mm-hmm. uh, one of the uh, groups that I just started. Uh, I joined this this year and just started going to their uh, um, biweekly or bimonthly, yeah, bimonthly <laughs> uh, meetings that they have. Um, and that is a really great place where you can just talk to other scientists. What I like about that um, group is that um, as a physicist, I just stay in the physics uh, building all the time. So that gives me an excuse to go and talk to other people that yes. are <laughs> doing other awesome uh, sciences. Um, about the Polaris Mentoring Program, um, is a program where we pair a graduate student with an undergrad student mm. um, who is usually in their second year. And the idea is that um, the graduate student kind of tells the undergrad student, um, kind of guides the person mm-hmm. on like what kind of opportunities they can have or like what they should be doing at this stage in their career. Um, so I think it um, it's really beneficial for the undergrad because it uh, gives them a lot of um, like a good overview of what's to come in their career. And it's also good for the graduate student because... Um, it's just good to mentor uh, younger students. Mm-hmm. I think it just uh, helping younger students is just um, a way to give back uh, because I feel like as a scientist, we all had uh, mentors that really helped us. And even when we don't realize it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. What are some of the challenges that are still there for, for women in science? Well, I think there's still a lot of implicit bias and stigma. Yeah. And some fields are worse than others. I mean, Ethel talked about her experience in physics, which is one of the fields where women still are mm-hmm. pretty much a minority. Mm-hmm. Uh, math is like that. So is engineering or sciences. Chemistry is beginning to change a little, but they were also... It's almost like the more physical and quantitative the discipline is, the less women you see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, and I think that people tend to think that that's because women don't have the ability, mm-hmm. um, which is not true. 
uh, and his, there's plenty of studies that have shown that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's 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 a it's a matter of culture within the discipline, and the things that they they are doing that they don't know that they are doing. Mm-hmm. So, for example. Um, Recently, I gave a talk at the Earth Sciences Department to their graduate students and postdocs on, on something I called uh, Diversity in STEM 101. Mm-hmm. And basically, I, I talked about the underrepresentation of certain groups and, and why that is a problem and, and how we're missing an opportunity to uh, do better research because we're not letting... Uh, some people into the conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I showed them a little bit of why this is happening, and I showed them the studies on implicit bias, and I talked about the concept of privilege, and I think that concept of privilege is very important in, in the STEM fields because mo- if you look around, most of our um, Nobel Prize winners mm-hmm. and prominent professors and almost basically all faculty are people who are sometimes second generation PhDs. Mm-hmm. Um, they are all generally from middle class or upper middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them are white. And so they don't understand, I think, sometimes the challenges that women and minority have to face on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And and so they don't factor that in when they make decisions. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, for example, that I told him was, if you have a person in a race running with only one leg and that person comes in 10th place, Mm -hmm. that is an amazing accomplishment Mm -hmm. because this person was running in one leg. But yet we're all fixed on the guy that came in first. Mm -hmm. And, And that's what happens in, in STEM, we are also, we have this this um, idea of what, what it, being good at something is, that we don't normalize that for the privilege, access to privilege that people mm-hmm. have. So if you see um, a person who's first generation college student come all the way to to postdoc level. Mm -hmm. To me, that is a tremendous accomplishment Mm -hmm. because I know this person had zero help from their family. Probably they don't even understand what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And and that starts to, that's very taxing psychologically, emotionally, and all that. And and you think that, that, oh, well, that's nothing. Well, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. And this person has to put up with this day in and day out. And I think that um, admissions committees, hiring committees, they need to start thinking about that, where this person comes from and how much have they done with the act, with you know the resources they have access to. Mm-hmm. And that's something they never think about. And so mm-hmm. this is something I bring up over and over again because even me, <laughs> I was making judgments, but, uh, you know, what I thought was merit. Mm-hmm. And I realized, well, you know, this person had access to so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fair to compare. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else um, from you, Ethel? Is is there something that you th- see maybe the university still lacking in, in terms of support or awareness? Or um, how, how do we uh, 
include more women at the table of those decisions, right? Of uh, maybe um, in admissions or committees, et cetera. Et cetera. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a complex problem because I think it goes back to definitely implicit bias. I, I think people are not aware that uh, this is a big problem, not just in sciences, but just in society. Mm -hmm. um, and um, there are people who still fight with that idea. There are people who don't believe in it. Mm -hmm. And um, I've heard many members in physics saying that they don't believe in it. And, you know, it's discouraging to hear that mm -hmm. when there are so many studies that show that it is there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think... Um, just a major overhaul of um, just the way that we think uh, um, would really benefit um, bringing women, not just in sciences, but in all aspects of our society. Mm -hmm. I think there has to be a change of mind where uh, we agree that there's a problem where we see that women are not in um, participating in all uh, different um places in society mm -hmm. and um, realize that that is a big problem for society and that we have to do something to change that. Mm -hmm. As you reflect back on your journey, what are some of the things that you see are changing? So we, we know that there are still a lot of work to be done, uh, but what are the things that you, you know, as maybe when you were in, in Marcela, maybe you, when you were in, in, in undergraduates, um, as an undergraduate, as a graduate student, and Ethel, you also, um, what are things that uh, you mentioned, Marcela Sagnas, right, was mm -hmm. not there for you when you were um, sort of in, in, in school. Um, so what do you see that the things that are changing, that are improving, and um, what are the opportunities for Latina scientists in the academy? And, and one of the things that you mentioned, Marcela, is this... Um, we're missing, right? We're, we're missing this um, perspective mm -hmm. uh, from if, if we don't have um, a diverse uh, group of scientists coming together to resolve a problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what, what are some of the things that come to mind in terms of what was not there but is now available? Um, so I think that I have seen some progress made in terms of gender and at least my discipline. When I was um, an undergraduate student, an early graduate student, all the only women that I saw as professors in my field uh, were unmarried or were married with another, to another scientist mm -hmm. and they didn't have kids. Mm -hmm. In other words, the implicit message was you can't have a family <laughs> if you want to be a successful researcher. Mm -hmm. But I've seen that changing. Um, I see a new generation of scientists, in my field at least, who new assistant professors and even at the associate professor level that are women and they have children, and, and some of them are not married to scientists. Um, so I, I think that that has helped kind of change the conversations mm -hmm. and the awareness about, you know, don't have a faculty meeting at 5 p.m. because mm -hmm. we need to go pick up our kids from daycare or mm -hmm. things of that nature. Um, I also think that it, it has allowed more uh, conversations regarding diversity of all types. And I, and I see that um, in my previous work in the College of Arts and Sciences, <clears throat> I had 
um, almost all the professors that were my biggest allies mm. were all a younger generation of scientists that wanted more diversity in their fields because they 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 definitely see that they what what is gained when you have people f- with other perspectives mm-hmm. and we have been pretty good about recruiting international mm-hmm. uh, scientists um, and in fact if you look at our numbers a lot of our Latino scientists were not born here mm. same thing with our black scientists they weren't born here um, so it's time for us to start recruiting domestic Latinos and domestic blacks because we can't um, because that is a different point of view mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a very different to grow up in a country where you are part of the majority mm-hmm. than when you're growing up in a country where you're part of the minority and that really shapes the way you think and you solve problems and you and your creativity all of that is shaped by by those experiences so that's why I think it's so important that that, that we bring that and I, I'm very encouraged that I see a lot of faculty accepting that mm-hmm. as an as a given and, and really f- working towards getting more diversity in STEM mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree I think just having conversations even with people that don't actually uh, believe that there's a problem mm-hmm. it's really a step forward because uh, then um, you start challenging their views and y- you start to have a conversation with uh, people who just don't believe in it mm-hmm, so yeah mm-hmm. uh, allowing th- that possibility yeah it's it's, it's, a, it's a step on, in the right direction yeah and, and I have to say yeah uh, my advisor is a big believer in diversity and he sees uh, all the benefits that the uh, diversity can have in physics so there are some people who are very um, much um, they believe in it and for the, it, it's good to have those people uh, as your allies and mentors. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that, Marcela, what you shared about um, when I was doing my own PhD work um, about having a family. And I, I started my graduate work with a family already. So mm-hmm. I didn't, that was not even a consideration. I was already in it. Uh, but I remember hearing uh, about how serious you were um, to your work, if you had children or, mm-hmm. or a husband or a part, you know, a partner, um, and this was in the humanities. My background was in the humanities, so um, and and that is also changing, I believe, um, because um, actually the the role and one of the things that I think helped me um, was that I chose a mentor that had the same lifestyle as mm-hmm. I had. So I had a mentor. She was she's an anthropologist and she was a married woman with two kids and and that's who I was, right? And um and I saw her, you know, being uh, uh, working towards her, you know, becoming an associate professor and 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 doing her research and publishing and and that was my role model and and I thought, okay, it is possible, right, to have a family and to have a career, and to be able to balance um, and 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 be successful, right, in, in that area. Um, so that's one of the things that I that I did is I picked the role model that most resembled me. Um, and she was not Latina, but she was a woman that had a family, and 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 um, and I think that's another way, right, mm-hmm. when we mentor others or when we. Um, uh, 
suggests as our students find that role model or match people up is do they fit into that student's um, uh, frame of reference, right? Is it the same? Is it a similar experience? Is, mm-hmm. is it something? And I think that sort of helps uh, students mm-hmm. uh, walk along the way. Um, is there anything exciting that you want to share with us in terms of uh, maybe SACNAS or any of the programs or research that you're uh, directing or, or con- uh, conducting right now? Uh, well, I would like to say that next semester, SACNAS is going to have a great event. We're going to have Dr. Jesus Bando from DePaul University uh, come and talk about diversity in STEM. Uh, and he's a physicist, so uh, Ethel will probably understand most of what he's going <laughs> to say. Um, so that that we are trying to bring more and more um, minority scientists to campus so that our community sees them because it's very tough to hire faculty of color, so, and there's very few around the country. So um, one of the things SAGNAS is trying to do is to bring them here so that our students see that they do exist mm-hmm. and that there can be role models even though they're not on their same campus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a very exciting event. And every event that SACNAS has is really awesome. So we should all, uh, everybody should check it out. You're right, yes. <laughs> can can uh, humanists uh, join Oh, that yes. <laughs> Actually, last year we had a collaboration with the comp- uh, somebody in comparative studies who oh, they have a group of faculty who uh, study science and technology. So wow. we were interested in the same person, so we collaborated in bringing that person over. So she spent one day with them and one day with us. <laughs> oh, great, yeah. great. So maybe there's a, a spot for me there to come absolutely, and visit. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, thank you, Marcela and Ethel, for this wonderful discussion about Latinas and STEM or women in STEM in general. This important topic is an ongoing conversation for many, but in particular for those who work in diversity and inclusion, as they look for ways to close the gap and support women and other underrepresented groups in the sciences. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.